Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast, presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, Arwen Entertainment, the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Grace Sale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. I am your host, John Fusick. Today, we have singer, songwriter, actor, and author, John Doe. He is known for his solo work, as well as his bands X and The Knitters, which also features Dave Alvin. John Doe is currently touring with a backing band of just drums and upright bass. The trio's only airy appearance will be at Club Passim in Boston on June 18th. If you want to catch his other band, X, they will be in concert opening for the Psychedelic Furs on July 13th at The Strand. So many people rushing by Everybody dressed in black Whispers up in the sky And never coming back You killed my mind Burn down their side
you're going to be playing at Passim next. Oh, this month it's June already. Sorry, June 18th at Passim. <laughs> I lose yes, track of June. I lose track of the days. These holiday and the holiday just messed me up because I keep thinking today is Wednesday. Yeah, it's Thursday. It was uh, it was trash day over here. I was very happy that I got the uh, the uh, compost bin out for for trash day today. <laughs> We all have our domestic things to deal with. Yes, we do. No matter Thank who, goodness. no matter who you are, it always comes down. We have the the basic human things we have to do. Oh, I don't know. I think that probably Sting doesn't take out his compost bin. Probably has a peasant do that. Maybe, maybe he does. Who knows? He lives in a castle, so. Oh, they just have a they just have a, a junk room. They have a room for that. They have knaves to take care of them. Have you played a passing before? Just once. I can't remember how long ago. Maybe 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I played back in the early '90s a few times. I played there. I had a folk duo, and we did uh, played a little more of a rockier edge, and that was questionable for them back then. But things have changed, and concept of folk music has been altered again. Oh, I guess I don't. I don't know. I mean, the the other new people that I know that are playing sort of folk music are pretty traditional. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed it when I played there. It's fashion and traditional when I played there. You're playing in a, in a trio with drums, right? Yes. The drums thing is then they wouldn't have gone with back then. But folk people were always kind of very strange about things we found. <laughs> Not saying this about Passim, but we used to come across people we'd call folk Nazis because they were yeah. so stringent about folk. And if we, you know, a lot of times we didn't even make the cut of folk. The stuff that's going around as folk is loosened up quite a bit. I consider what you're doing folkish based and it has drums and bass. Oh, yeah. Have you gone out on this tour yet? Well, we've played around. Texas played several dates around Texas uh, pre-pandemic and and post you know after making the record we played a, a few shows and uh, we don't play places that are run by purists we just do our thing and and uh, you know play at nightclubs or theaters or wherever you know club Pessim we felt as though we kind of should it was it was fitting and they had the they had the right uh, they had the right day you know available that's that's how it goes you know I noticed a lot of the rooms that you are playing are lean towards it's more of the, the acoustic acts, which is... I did notice that. Well, this was created and could could be in the back of a, of a tavern. Uh, it is it is all acoustic. There's nothing that has to be electrified to make this work. And that's the way that we did it. That's the way we, we created it on Kevin Smith's back porch, or a patio, I should say. We didn't have a PA, we didn't have any amps, and we just sang and played, and that's how we recorded it as well. You recorded it live? Yeah. We went to a very nice studio called Public Hi-Fi, owned and designed and run by Jim Eno from Spoon. Uh-huh. The drummer from Spoon. Okay, they make they make very high end recordings there, and and we just use their high end microphones. And so you just mic'd everybody up and played. That's right. Wow, oh, that's that's the best way to record, honestly. I think that's what was fitting for this i think you can make records anyway there's a million ways of making a good record a million ways of, of making a bad record but i've always felt that it's a record of what you do or what you did or what's happening at the time and the the engineer producer i've worked with dave way has got you know grammys and steve berlin from los lobos they were both producing and and we also did it uh so it could be put out on atmos sony atmos which is a crazy surround sound thing that theaters have been using for a while so we could cut between takes 
which we did a little bit, like a, like an old jazz record. I guess Rudy Van Gelder did that a lot. Conrad Shakroon has great time, so we can sort of do that. But yeah, the, there was so much bleed. We weren't wearing headphones and things like that. And it wasn't to be, you know, better than anyone. It wasn't to show off. It wasn't to, uh, to brag about it. It was just the way that it started. And so we felt like that was the way it ought to be. You couldn't overdub a vocal. If you, if you hit a bum note, you couldn't overdub a, a upright bass note because it was bleeding into everything else and you'd, you'd have that weird ghosting thing happen right if you did that so there were no overdubs on this album this is pretty much it, how it sounded is is how it sounds is how it was recorded uh well we did overdub the uh the violin and the uh with the carrie rodriguez played and we overdubbed josh baca on accordion it's a lot of different textures and uh you know it's a lot of uh isolation a lot of mortality questioning god and spiritualism and things like that it's a it's a concept record i read that it was <laughs> basic it was basically set in the 1890s and it was it was That's the way it happened right and the uh inspired by the pandemic and the 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 isolation of the pandemic and that's what you're trying to um, express that's what i read actually actually not not quite it it, it was a kind of a happy accident i mean i had i already started working on it it was uh it was my daughter who who kind of pointed it out to me after she listened to it she goes god it's a lot of isolation and a lot of loneliness dad <laughs> it's kind of like what we've been going through and i'm so i'm so i guess deep in it i said oh shit well I guess you're right. The only thing I could say was directly inspired was a song called Guilty Bystander that was inspired by the murder of George Floyd, uh, thinking about masters and slaves, and, and that is a, that song is all set olden days. Yeah, sometimes you just react to what's happening. It was sure was happening, wasn't it? Right. Or still it, is. Yeah, it still <laughs> actually, is. Actually, it still is. It's still, it seems to be getting worse, actually. I mean... Oh, don't say that. Yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, it's very exhilarating and makes me anxious to embark on a tour like this. Yeah, yeah. I understand, totally. I mean, I just... That's part of the problem. Yeah. The, the anger and resentment and fatigue and all those things piling up and people reacting. Um, I think the getting too deep into the news is a problem. But well, that's yeah. another. That's, that's maybe that's another conversation. Yeah, that. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, I read off of your website that the CD you said it's accompanied by horses, not machines. Uh, yeah, it takes place with horses rather than cars. Yeah, I'm, I'm a horse lover. I've got me and and my um, what I hope to do if I ever stop uh, touring is just hang out with them because they're they're cool. Now you live in San Francisco now? No, no, I moved to Texas about uh, a little over five years ago. Oh, okay. I thought it said San Francisco on your website. I, I lived in the Bay Area for about uh, nine years. What part of Texas do you live in? In Austin. So you live in the good part of Texas. It's all good. It's all. Uh, it's it's unfortunate people get. Uh, I guess we keep going back to the news. It's unfortunate that people are misinformed. Yes, I do live in Austin. I, I don't think I would be happy in Dallas. I mean, I hear a lot of things going on about Texas. That's why I, you know, that's why I kind of, if there's an attitude on my end, it's, you know, that's the reason is because I hear things about sure. what's going on down there. So. Well, go to, you know, if you go from San Francisco uh, to Modesto, you might as well be going from Austin to Uvalde or, or some, you know, as soon as you get out of the city things get very provincial if you go from la to bakersfield you're going to see a bunch of trump signs it's just uh there's no escaping it. if you go from 
you know, Philadelphia West, it becomes very conservative. Well, it's the same thing so, in Rhode Island, and Rhode Island's only 50 miles by 25, so we, we have the same issue yeah, from town right. to town. It's just yeah. on a more uh, extreme scale because it's so close. So Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I won't argue that the, the politicians in Texas are like Marvel villains, staying and doing what they do just to appeal to their base to stay in power. Right. I don't think that they... They, they they sort of believe in it. They just think that okay, this is the this is what I can get away with. So this is what I'll do. And and that's uh, unfortunate. They just played the, to uh, play to the crowd. Yeah, and I saw two of the videos from um, from this new mm-hmm. CD. You can hear a little bit of the your edginess coming through on the, all the music. There's always a bit of an edge to what you're playing. Yes. Um, it seems that that translates throughout what you do. You have, I mean, you started as a as a punk rocker and still am, still am at heart, and it and it comes through, which is a good thing because it's just you know it gives an edge to what you're doing. Well, there's a there's a time for um, for easy listening, and I I don't seem to be able to really. Do that but you know this this may be a little quieter but it's still the, the stories and the yeah anyway i'm sorry i'm interrupting your question oh no, it's okay towards something i noticed that some of the early stuff i mean as x got more popular some of the stuff became more pop with x some of the hits like fourth of july that was more of a pop song than that had less of an edge than earlier x stuff well actually we didn't we didn't write that but um uh, dave alvin wrote that song but uh i don't know you you just keep changing you keep changing and trying things and doing stuff you know we were never like robbing gristle or sonic youth or something like that we were never purposely obtuse or you know we we pretty much pretty traditional in our song structure and tunings and things like that and just the fact that we were playing a little faster than most people at the time and mm-hmm. identified ourselves with punk rock you know punk rock was got a raw deal punk rock just got shoved over in the ghetto because the powers that be decided oh this is too weird and it's not ob- obviously not weird at all just that it was another version of uh, rock and roll so whatever you know i mean i'm glad that uh, x is still playing and, and still we're still a little bit too weird to be prime time uh that's that's not bad that's a good thing i read that you played a concert in california and the school that was near it had the highest truancy rate to date <laughs> well that, yeah that was years ago but that, that was a bit of a feather in our cap it was a free <laughs> show and a, a bunch of kids cut cut school to go see it that was fun i think it was in uh at uc fullerton or, or fullerton state i don't know yeah so, somewhere down there in orange county I read that you had a little bit of a Woody Guthrie influence um, in you, and uh, can, I can see that especially through on this new CD. Mm-hmm. Woody Guthrie did Dust Bowl Days stuff, and this the 1890s, not so bad, but kind of the same vibe in a way. Yeah, well, I've always respected him. I mean, I, I listened to folk music when I was a kid. That was what people of my generation were given by their parents, and it turns out that it was like Woody Guthrie and Lead Belly, so you've got a, you know, a socialist youth union organizer and a and a convicted murderer who happened to be really good singers and songwriters and there was you know there were others cisco houston was a was a real great influence and so yeah i think i i think that's that's where i first got my desire to tell stories is that they were all you know you, you could see the characters that they were singing about Hide it away in the unknown. Ten cuidado con que tú dices. 
or I'll tear your heart in pieces. He said that he knew what he did not know. He told me his mother was never whole. He promised the moon, but it never showed. And he called himself El Romanzo. He said that he went where he would not go. He told me he was born down in Mexico. He said he talked fast, but reacted slow. And he called himself El Romanzo. So you write poetry as well, and you you actually teach poetry workshops? I have in the past. Uh, I haven't in, in a while. Yeah, I'm part, actually, uh, I went to school. I quit college for a couple of years and then went back to a uh, night school, which was a branch of Antioch College. Mm-hmm. And they had a. I went back because they had a writing program. I actually reconnected with some of the poets from that from that era back in like '74, '75, and we do a Zoom call once a month. So you got to. You got to come in with a poem. Cool. So you can't just you can't just scribble some crap in a notebook and just let it you know sit there until you need a song. You have to kind of you got to deliver. You got to get it edited and, and into a an actual form. It's a good thing. Keep, is it a critique kind work. of ve- venue where people discuss it and critique it, or is it just just a, just an yeah, avenue to yeah, let I it mean, out? I don't know if there's that everybody's at a pretty high level, so there's not critiquing as much as like asking questions. Like, well. 
why'd you do this? What is, what is that? Does this lead to that? And how does that, what do you mean when you say that? Or yeah, mostly questions about uh, how you got there, what, it, where it's going and that sort of thing. You've written a couple of books as well, or you've contributed to the, the punk movement book. You, you contributed to that, mm-hmm. but you also did a, you also had a, a, an audio book that you were nominated for a Grammy for. Mm-hmm. Did you win the Grammy? I didn't see anything about that. No, no, we didn't. Carol Burnett won it. And, <laughs> you know, God bless her. How can you go up against Carol Burnett? Well, you know, God bless her. I, it, it, the only thing that, that pissed us off is that, you know, Carol Burnett probably just threw it on the stack of all of her other accolades. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, it was uh, the, the whole concept of the audiobook was the the best idea that I came up with, which was it's going to be a, not an oral history. It's a written history of L.A. punk rock from 77 to 82, because that's the, you know, the, the first wave, first and second wave, maybe. I thought, well, I I don't really, it sounds like a lot of work. My partner and, and my friend kept bugging me to write a book. I'm not really a raconteur. I don't, you know, hold forth that much. Uh, so it sounded like a lot of work to me. But then I had the idea. <laughs> And I also didn't, I didn't, you know, kind of, I didn't like the idea of having to be the authority. Like, you know, what if I get it wrong? What, if, you know, so I enlisted a bunch of other people that were there as well. People like Jane Weedlin and Henry Rollins and Exine and uh, Dave Alvin and, and people that were in the scene. And they wrote chapters so that it wasn't just calling somebody on the phone and saying, hey, what happened when you were drunk? They had to write, they had to write their chapter. They had to look at it and say, is this the story I want to tell? Am I using, you know, an authentic voice? Uh, of, you know, am I being authentic? And so it gave a really well-rounded idea of what it was like. And, and Los Angeles was a, was a really cool place at that time. Is this why you, you have your, your bio that says you were born in 1977? Well, John Doe was. John Doe was born in 1977. Is that when you started your music career? <laughs> no, no, I'd already been playing music, but that's when it was any, that's when I did something that was any good. <laughs> took me a good, uh, you know, 15 years to actually do something that was worthwhile. Did you start off in bands or did you start off solo acoustic? No, first? I started I started playing bass. I was influenced I was, you know, influenced by, you know, like a 15-16 year old when the Doors and Janis Joplin and, and Jimi Hendrix and all those folks uh, were big. So that's when, you know, and I had been in grade school when the Rolling Stones and Beatles and all that crap happened. So, I mean, it's like, oh wow, this seems like a cool job. What, what if I did that? <laughs> You know, I'd be, you know, totally an idiot not having any idea what it actually takes to do it. Well, honestly, I don't think a lot of people get it. A lot of people have the, the mentality of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yes. Like Dire Straits, you know, Mark Knopfler. It's easy. Get a guitar yeah. and play. Yeah. So, so yes, I, I played uh, I played bass from the beginning. I wrote a lot of this, uh, most of the early X songs on bass. Yeah. I like playing bass, but at some point you have some other creative ideas and, well, maybe I need to branch out a little bit or something. Um, but yeah, I was very fortunate in meeting, I think it was Fate, meeting Xene, meeting Billy Zoom, getting DJ Bonebreak to play with us. And, and uh, I think we're up to 45 years, started in 77. So yeah, same band members, it's pretty crazy. And we're doing a big like six-week tour with the Psychedelic Furs this year. How's I mean, how's Xene doing? I mean, I, I read that she has some health problems. She was, mis- she was misdiagnosed. Uh, with MS, and uh, I guess MS is pretty tricky, can can be a lot of things, and they think it is, but she's fine. Billy has had a couple of cancer operations and treatments, but he's doing good. That's well, good. yeah, we put a record out in 2020. I did see that, first, yeah. First record in about uh, 
35 years with uh, with the band. You have more records out solo than the band, about 14 I albums think so. out? I think it's 12, but yeah, I think I do. You've been in 75 movies about? <laughs> Is that right? I Well, I counted, I, I, I saw a list, I counted it up, it's about 75. <laughs> I know I've oh, seen cool. you in quite a few. I'll, I'll, I'll update my I'll update my bio. I just have been saying, I've been saying over 50 for a while, and I guess it's, it's now I can say 75. That sounds like that's a good... <laughs> odd number now what got you i mean how do you go from x to acting i mean what was the transition there what what made you go from that to that i give allison anders the indie director credit for it she did a movie called board radio back in oh i don't know 83 maybe 84 she was using some la musicians as actors and asked me if i'd be if i want to play a part in it so i did and then there was an agent at our at the agency that booked X, and she said, "Well, what if I put you up for some some other movies?" And I said, "Sure." So I, you know, did the same thing that everybody else does. I auditioned, and sometimes I got the part, and most of the time I didn't. I think the my first kind of big movie I did was Salvador, the one with James Woods and Jim Belushi. What's his name? Oliver Stone directed that. But yeah, I mean, it's you know, I feel like there is uh, everybody has a certain amount of creativity, and you can just direct it towards different outlets. And, and if you're, you know, if you're driven enough or, or you have, if you're open enough, then you can kind of figure out how to do it. I, I did a lot of on-the-job training, but then eventually I took some classes. Do you find that you might be spreading yourself thin and spreading out the creative thing? Do you find that it, it dilutes <laughs> some of the other stuff sometimes? Because I, I know that when I try to do too much, it, I kind of find yeah. that one suffers. Yeah, I, I've, um, I've actually said no to several things because of that just so that I don't. But at this point, you know, I I don't I don't audition for things unless it's some big shit movie and, and I just kind of go along and do my thing and, and if somebody wants me to be in a in some production then I'll take a look at what it, what the character is, what the part is and if I think I can do it then and have the time then I might. But now I don't I, I mean, yeah, there was there was something just recently that I, I couldn't I just couldn't do because I had this record coming out and yeah, I, I, it's good to say no. <laughs> <laughs> You're smart. It's good to say no. So I, I came across this site that was, I it seemed like it was old. But I didn't see anything new on it, but it was What Would John Doe Do? Is that still oh, active yeah. or is that passe now? No, no. Somebody, uh, somebody asked me to, you know, kind of give information or advise people. It was pretty fun for a little while. Yeah, I read a couple of the things from it. It seemed it seemed entertaining. Yeah. I'm sure that was something else. It took time that you probably could have spent on other stuff that... Oh, yeah, you know, what? Like a... <laughs> 20 minutes to answer somebody's question about publishing it's like what the well, fuck <laughs> those things you can go down the rabbit hole though and that's that's the problem with anything that's like true. that that is true too at the Passim show what do you, what can folks expect at the Passim show as far as uh, song content is it mostly going to be the new stuff or is it going to be a mix of your stuff It'll some X stuff maybe some knitters thrown in um, that's exactly right okay I'm, I'm not self I'm not selfish enough to punish people with my <laughs> my new creation <laughs> Here's my new creation. Sit and enjoy, people. Uh, no, I play X songs and and uh, cover songs and old older solo stuff and i don't take as many um requests because you know i'm actually on my third bass player because kevin smith is out with willie nelson which is his regular gig Uh and then brad fordham who's a well-known bass player here in uh, austin he's he and his wife significant other lisa pankratz are playing with jimmy dale gilmore and dave alvin and so i i'm now i'm playing with a third bass player chris kreps who's awesome he used to play 
play with uh, Dale Watson, who's a kind of honky tonk guy. But they will ex- they will expect a good time. That's what they should come expecting. Good time. It does seem like it's a good show. I have a gig that day, or else I would be up there to see it. Because it's from listening to uh, what I've heard, I would like to I'd like to see it. But that's you know that's the drawbacks of being a musician. You have your own gig sometimes. So that is true. I don't know if you spin vinyl, but. We made vinyl of this, and the record cover's good, and it tells you all the people who played on it. Oh, cool! Yeah, that's the good stuff. That's about vinyl. Is you get the you get all that good information, and it's in a legible type that you don't have to use a magnifying glass to see. <laughs> well, that's there. There are good parts to being older, and there's not as good parts to being older. Well, I, I'm up there as well, so. <laughs> Yeah. Well, anything else you want to throw in? Uh, anything you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about? Oh, just for people to be good to each other. Don't be so damn angry and mean. That's, that's all. That's definitely a good thing to, to leave off with. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully folks will get up there. I know the, the bass player in my band was really excited about you playing up at uh, Passim. He's the one who told me about it before I had actually even read about it, because he found out, and he's he's going awesome. up. I know he is. I have a good solo deal. gig, though. That's why. Yeah. Well, you gotta you got to pay the rent. Oh, Oh, yes, that's true. I uh, have certainly enjoyed talking to you, and uh, uh, hopefully I will cross paths with you another time, because I really would like to see you play, because I do like your music. I, you know what I did notice listening to this, and I the song Never Coming Back, and the first few notes, you had a very Jim Morrison quality to your voice. <laughs> well, he was one of my young favorites. I, I did love Jim Morrison. Uh, it's not the first time I've heard that, but that's okay. I, I yeah, He's pretty He's pretty dark and mysterious yeah nothing wrong with that oh and one other thing is that you're in one of my favorite videos as well as kathleen edwards oh yeah yeah she's uh she's a good one i guess she's back out playing music play the boyfriend in the thing she's throwing things at you Yes, yeah, yeah, as, as that happens. Anyway, I like that video and your performance and is, is pretty apropos, too, so. Oh, well, thanks. I like thanks. it. I'm, I'm always, you know, I, like I said, I'm always excited when I see you in other things because I'm like, yeah, that's cool. He does music and he does yeah, acts as well, so it's always cool. Well, good. I'm glad I, didn't, glad I didn't wreck it for you. Some people say, oh, yeah, I was watching this movie and then you showed up, and Jesus Christ, it took me all, it took me completely out of the fantasy of watching the movie. <laughs> and I thought, well, shit, I'm sorry. Too bad. No, I like it when I like it when folks like that show up. I like I like seeing you in movies. I mean, you've even been in Law and Order. That's like well, the that was that was nothing but fucking fun. That was so much fun. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, take care. We'll see you down the line.
Thanks to John Doe for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. The John Doe Trio's only area appearance will be at Club Passim in Boston on June 18th. If you want to catch X in concert, they will be opening for the Psychedelic Furs on July 13th at The Strand. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, Arwen Entertainment, the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Grace Ale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.